tell you, if that song doesn't prepare my heart to preach and your heart to hear, something wrong with our heart, isn't it? <laughs> that was so good, Isaac. Open your Bibles again, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> I titled the message, The First Lord's Table. This is the very last Passover. And you might recall when I read there in Exodus chapter 12, the Lord said, you'll keep this by ordinance forever. So why is this the last one? Well, he said you keep it by ordinance forever. Now, by his sacrifice, Christ is going to make an end of the law. So we don't observe the Passover anymore. Now we observe the Lord's table. And the time when we gather together to observe the Lord's table is one of the most special times of worship that we have. The Lord's table is given to us, our Lord said, for this purpose, to remember him. To remember his character, who he is. He's holy and righteous and just. He's merciful, his, his love and mercy to his people. To remember his sacrifice, how he sacrificed himself, everything that he is for the sin of his people. The Lord's table is given to us so that each believer can take the bread and the wine and remember the Lord. Remember, this is his sacrifice. This picture is his sacrifice for me. And I can publicly take this bread and this wine as a confession, my faith, my hope, my confidence is in Christ and his sacrifice for me. This is public worship, the Lord's table, isn't it? but it's also intensely personal. I take the bread. I take the wine. I eat it. I drink it. Nobody can do it for me. I do it. It's very personal. Yet, it's done in a public worship service. Now, I love how the Lord set the observance of his table. Observing the Lord's table is not a big religious pageant, is it? There's no religious ceremony and fanfare that goes along with it. The Lord's table is like all of the gospel. It's simple. The Lord's table is more, all the more glorious in how simple it is. How clearly and simply this bread and this wine picture the sacrifice of Christ for the sin of his people. And having just the bread. Just the wine, picturing his body, his broken body, his shed blood. It puts all of our focus on the Savior, doesn't it? You really can't focus on anything else. It's his, his body, his blood, and pictures of it. You just can't focus on anywhere, anywhere else. And when we focus on Christ that closely, that's what makes this worship service all the more special. And tonight I want us to look at three things. I want us to look at the elements that were on the table that night, the bread and the wine. And thirdly, I want us to look at who is around the table. Now first, let's consider the elements, bread and wine. The bread and wine picture our Lord's broken body and his shed blood. Now they don't, the, the bread doesn't magically turn in, after we pray over it, the bread doesn't magically turn into the body of Christ. After we pray over it, the wine doesn't magically turn into the blood the actual blood of Christ. There are people who believe that. And they believe that by eating the actual body of Christ, drinking his actual blood, a person is saved that way by putting those elements in, into their body. I read this way. I did not know this. People, when they, there are, are people who observe the Lord's table, that the bread that's left over, they take it out and bury it because they think it's the body of Christ. And I thought, well, why bury it? It's not going to decay, is it? It's his body saw no decay when it was buried. It came out of the grave. All that is is idolatry. 
That's all it is. It's making an idol of the bread and the wine. The bread is going to stay bread. The wine's going to stay wine. These things are pictures of Christ. The Lord's table is not a, a sacrament. And a sacrament just means this. It's something that you do or something that you eat that actually puts grace and holiness into your soul. This is not a sacrament. It's a picture of Christ's sacrifice. It's a picture of salvation through the sacrifice of Christ for his people. He's our holiness. He's our righteousness. The Lord's table is an ordinance that pictures Christ. The Lord gave the church two ordinances to picture, his, to picture salvation, redemption through the sacrifice of Christ. Baptism and the Lord's table. That's the two we have. Some people say there's three, the preaching of the gospel. If we preach the gospel, we're preaching his death, burial, his resurrection, and Christ crucified, aren't we? But these things are given to us as pictures of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. And the first thing that was on the table that night was bread. Verse 26, Matthew 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Now, this bread is, is a very good picture of the sinless body of our Lord Jesus. This was unleavened bread. It's the only kind of bread a Jew would have on the table during the Passover week. Before the Passover week even began, they scoured the house, got down their hands and knees, looked in the backs of cabinets and in corners and everywhere to make sure there was no leaven in that house. Wherever they found leaven in that house, they threw it away. So if they made bread that week, it had to be unleavened bread, didn't it? And throwing away that leaven, clearing the house of the leaven before the Passover week, that's a picture of the holy sinlessness God requires of you and me. Something we cannot produce. We can't get rid of the sin that's in our body. And that's what leaven is a picture of in Scripture, always. It's a picture of sin. Remember the Lord told his disciples one day, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He meant the sin of that, that self-righteous religion. But Christ our Savior, now unlike us, he had no sin. He did no sin. He was perfect. He wasn't even acquainted with any sin, Scripture says. He obeyed God's law perfectly because his nature is holy and righteous. He is completely without sin. So since his nature is without sin, his body is too. And that's what makes his body a suitable sacrifice to put away our sin. It's the only sacrifice that will put away our sin because he's the only one who had no sin. Since the Lord Jesus had no sin of his own, that made him able to take your sin and my sin, the sin of his people, and take it into his own precious body on the tree. He had no sin of his own, so he could take the sin of his people. If he had sin of his own, he couldn't be a sacrifice for us, could he? But he had no sin of his own, so he could take the sin of his people away from them and make it his and put it away by his sacrifice, by his body being broken, his blood being shed. Even the lambs that they used as pictures of Christ, that they used in, in sacrifices, they had to be perfect. They couldn't have any, any visible spot or any blemish. As far as the, the human eye could see, you'd have to examine that lamb and look and, ma and make sure that lamb has no visible blemishes, no visible damage to it. To be a picture of Christ, he's perfect. They took that Passover lamb at the beginning of the week and, and they set it up and they watched it for 
days and days and days to make sure that that lamb was perfect. They're not going to offer a lamb to God that, you know, has got three legs or got one eye or, you know, got kidney disease and is dying already. Anyway, well, we'll just, it's dying already, so we'll just kill it and offer it to the Lord. No, the lamb had to be perfect. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, and John the Baptist identified him. How did he identify him? Behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was examined. He was examined by men, and he was examined by his Father. When it came time, the chief priests, that they wanted to condemn him, you know what they had to do? They had to find witnesses who would lie. Even the chief priests who were trying to condemn him knew, this man's innocent. We've got to pay somebody to lie if we're going to condemn him. The chief priest even knew he was innocent. Pilate examined him. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Matthew recorded this. The Roman centurion who was there, I guess in charge of the crucifixion, who watched the Savior die. When he died, he saw the earthquake and the the sun had gone out and all the things that happened. This is the conclusion the centurion came to. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Luke said that the centurion said, Certainly, This was a righteous man. Men examined the Lord Jesus and found him to be faultless, didn't they? Perfectly righteous. Well, men can only see so far. Well, the Father examined him too. The Father who sees everything examined his Son in the flesh. And this is what he had to say about him. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased for his righteousness sake. I'm well pleased... For his perfection. I'm well pleased in who he is. The father examined him. And found him to be faultless. Now this man is faultless. Then why did he die? He had no sin. Why did he die? If you don't have any sin. You cannot die. It's sin that causes death. isn't it? Well, The only way the Lord Jesus could die. Under the wrath of his father. Is if he was truly made sin. For his people. If the Savior was not truly made sin, if God was just acting like it, but it wasn't truly made sin, the Father put an innocent man to death at Calvary. Now I know he didn't do that, because that wouldn't be just, and everything God does is just. If the Savior was not truly made sin, if the sin of his people was not taken away from them and actually made his and put on him, then our sin is still on us. And it's not been put away. And we have no hope of salvation. So we better hope he was made sin for us. And when he was made sin, the father put him to death in justice. And that's what the broken bread represents. Now right now the bread is in solid pieces. In a few minutes the men will come up. And the quiet of this room you'll hear him breaking it. That's his body broken for us. And they're going to hand out the bread. You're going to ask God's blessing on it. You're going to take it and you're going to put it in your mouth. And you're going to chew it up. And you're going to hear that bread being ground. That's the Savior's body being ground under the wheel of God's justice. Being ground to powder because he's taking the punishment that his people deserve. He's standing as a substitute for his people. And how his precious body was broken as he suffered for his people. His body was broken. 
when he gave his back to those who would lacerate his back with that cat of nine tails. They'd rake that thing across his back and rip skin and flesh off his back and just fling it over here to the wall, you know. His body was broken. He gave his face to the smiters. He didn't hide his face. He gave his face to the smiters. That he repeatedly buffeted him, punched him in the face. His body was broken when he gave his face to those that would pluck out his beard. When they pulled out that beard, it wasn't just hair that came out. Flesh came out with it. His body was broken and torn. His body was broken when he bowed his head to be coronated with a crown of thorns that was shoved into his scalp and his body was broken. His precious body was broken. He laid down willingly upon that cross and they drove railroad spikes through his hands and through his feet. His body was broken. They picked that cross up dropped it down into a hole prepared for him. His body jarred. Those nail holes tore. Tore into his body was broken. And you know all of this was done by the will and purpose of the Savior himself. Now I know wicked men did everything their evil hearts desired to do. But in doing their evil desires, you know what they did? They fulfilled the will of the very one they were hanging on that middle tree. That's exactly what they did. The cross is an act of God. And our Lord demonstrated that in the way he instituted the first Lord's table. It says here in verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And he gave the bread to his disciples. The Lord did all that, didn't he? The Lord took the bread. He took on him flesh so that he'd have a body to be sacrificed. God is spirit. Spirit can't be sacrificed for the likes of you and me. Somebody's got to be in our flesh, in our nature. The Lord Jesus took on him the nature and the flesh of the creature so that he'd have a body to be sacrificed. And he's the one who broke the bread. He suffered willingly. He gave himself to be sacrificed. He wasn't hiding. That mob came out there. He came out and said, you see? I'm me, he said. He wasn't hiding. He suffered everything, his law, his own law, his own justice demands so that his people would be redeemed. He broke the bread. And he blessed the bread. And he gave it to the disciples. Now that word blessed, it means what you think it means. It means to ask God to bless a thing. But it also means this. It means to praise a thing. To praise a thing. The Lord takes the bread. He takes himself. And he gives himself to his people. And you know how he does it? By praising himself. Through the preaching of the gospel. By taking the fumbling, stumbling words of a sinful man. Sinful lips and a sinful tongue. And praising himself through the preaching of the gospel. And asking his father to bless it. And to give life to his child. And that request is granted by the father every time. Because the father is well pleased with the sacrifice of his son. So in a few moments when we take this bread. Well, this is what we're saying. All of my hope of salvation is in the sinless life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived the life. He did what I cannot do. He kept the law for me. He is perfectly sinless. And when the time came, 
he gave his body to be broken as a sacrifice for my sin. When his body was broken, when he was punished, he was taking what I deserve. And since he took what I deserve, I'll never suffer. That's my hope of salvation. When we take the bread, that's what we're saying. All right, the other element that was on the table is the wine. Verse 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now the only proper way to observe the Lord's table and to remember the Savior is is by drinking wine. And I just point that out because you're going to run across people that... uh, that just think it's wrong to drink wine at the Lord's table and they use grape juice and it just can't be done. It can't be. Grape juice has yeast in it. It has leaven in it. it has the picture of sin it has it in it. Through the process of fermentation, the grape juice becomes wine. The leaven comes out of it. The yeast is taken out of it. You know, people say, well, you know, the Lord wouldn't drink wine. Really? They say that like, you know, the, the wine is evil in itself. You know, that makes you evil and, and the Lord wouldn't drink wine. The people of that day called the Lord a wine bibber. They said he drank wine. Everybody knew he drank wine. Everybody did. They also say, well, no, you know, the wine they drank then is lower alcohol content than we have today. And, you know, so we shouldn't drink this, this, this alcohol, higher alcohol content wine. They say that again, like the sins in alcohol. Brethren, sin is not what we eat and what we drink. Sin's what we are. What we are. Oh my goodness. I don't know the higher alcohol content or not. But that doesn't matter. The Lord was drinking wine at the Lord's table. And with the leaven taken out of the, out of the grape juice, and that's the only way we can picture the pure, sinless blood of Christ is by wine. And that's what the wine pictures. And besides all that, Besides all that, this is something far more important. Maybe I should have started here. The Lord says here, he took wine. And what did the Lord say? This do in remembrance of me. He didn't say, now, take what you want to do in remembrance of me, did he? He said, don't don't change. He didn't say, you're free to change what I'm telling you. This is just a suggestion. He said, this do, this do in remembrance of me. And that's what we'll do. We'll take this wine as a picture of Christ's blood which put away the sin of God's people. And there is redemption in this blood that the wine represents. There's redemption in the blood of Christ and the only place there's any redemption to be found is in the blood of Christ. Let me give you a few things about the blood that I see here in just this one verse. There is redemption in this blood first of all it's the blood of god now we're not playing games here we're not just tinkering with things this is the blood of god the savior said it's my blood well who is he he's the son of god he's the god man this is the blood of god now this blood's going to be shed on purpose and whatever the purpose is it's going to be accomplished isn't it <laughs> It's the blood of God. It can't fail to accomplish its purpose. Second, this blood is the blood of the New Testament, the new covenant. Now, the old covenant was the law. And nobody was ever saved by that law because we can't keep it. 
Nobody could ever make themselves righteous by keeping that law because we can't do it. But the new covenant, there's blood of the new covenant. Aren't you glad it's not, you're not just left up to how well you can keep the law? We'd all be damned. The Savior says there's a new covenant. But you know what? This new covenant is really the old covenant. It's the eternal covenant of God's grace. It's eternal. It's just newly revealed to men. But it's God's eternal purpose. And that covenant of grace, God's eternal purpose and covenant of grace is ratified and sealed by the precious blood of Christ. The blood of Christ paid the debt, the sin debt for all of God's people. It put away the sin of all of God's people and that blood made it right for God to be gracious to his people. Because the blood took away the sin that made God angry. There, this is the blood of the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Thirdly, it's sin atoning, redeeming, saving blood. The Lord said, this is my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. He wasn't trying to put away sin. It's shed for the remission of sins. It is the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, God's son, that fully cleanses us, fully and completely cleanses us from all sin so that the guilt of it's gone, the stain of it's gone, the debt of it's gone. It's gone under the blood of Christ. He fully paid the debt. And since the blood of God paid the debt, there is remission. They can never perish. Whoever it is Christ died for, whoever it is he shed his blood for, can never perish. Because there can't be death where there's no sin, can there? And the blood of Christ took away the sin of God's people. Let me show you that in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Savior is going to the cross. He said, this, this is a picture of my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. All right, that's what he said. Did he get the job done? Well, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says after the fact. Hebrews 17, verse 6, or Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is the covenant. This is that new covenant. The covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts. In their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Why won't he remember that? Because there's remission. Verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Christ offered his blood as a remission for the sins of his people and he put their sin away. And the covenant of grace was ratified. Fourth, the blood of Christ is successful blood. You notice the way the Savior said this. This is my blood which is shed for many. He didn't say it's shed for all. Then say it's shed for everybody and they might still perish anyway. This is my blood shed for many. Many. Well, who are the many? They're God's elect. Whoever it is that Christ shed his blood for, he put their sin away. And you know how I know that? Go back to the first point about the blood. He said, it's my blood. It's the blood of God. He put the sin of his people away. And they are eternally redeemed. And we take this wine. The men are going to distribute it in just a minute. We take the wine. This is what we're publicly confessing. I am such a vile sinner. The only way my sin can be put away is by the blood of God. He had to shed his blood to put away my sin. 
I'm, when I take this wine, this is why I'm saying, I trust the blood of Christ as the only way my sin could be paid. It's the only way. I've got no other option. I've got, I've got no other hope and I don't want one. The only hope I want before God that my sin has been paid for is what this wine represents. It's the blood of Christ. I trust his blood so fully. I trust him so fully. I know his blood's sufficient so that I don't want option B. He's all I want. All right, that's the blood. Now, thirdly, the people at the table. I think this will be a blessing. To, I, I, I just enjoyed this so much. You know, when, uh, when we come here, we don't put any restrictions whatsoever upon the Lord's table. Um, you know, in order to take this bread, this wine, you don't have to be a member in good standing. You, you don't have to get the seal of, of approval of the elders. The men don't like hold out and, you know, try, am I going to give them the, the bread and the wine? You know, do, do they pass my, you know, seal of approval? No, we don't do that. We put no fences around the Lord's table whatsoever. It's not our table. It's the Lord's table. Here's the thing about the Lord's table. If you're going to take it, you have to be a believer. You have to trust Christ. If you trust Christ, this table is for you. The table is for believers, and you decide that for yourself. We're not going to decide it for you. Paul said, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of this bread and drink of that cup. You examine yourself. That's up to you. That's between you and God. And you know the Lord showed us that when he served the first Lord's table. The Lord himself served the table, didn't he? He broke the bread. He distributed it. He took the wine. He distributed it. He distributed it to the twelve. He knew full well Judas was there. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He said so. Immediately before he instituted this table. He knew Judas was there. He knew Judas was a reprobate. And when he served the table, he allowed Judas to eat it. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat. Now, I would warn you, this is what scripture says. Don't drink, eat and drink this table unworthily. And unworthily simply means this. You don't have to be worthy and be good enough and have no sin in your life. That's, that's not what it means unworthily means this. Don't eat this without faith in Christ. The only thing that makes a sinner worthy to eat this table is I trust Christ. I trust Him to be my Savior. And we're not going to decide that for you. We don't put any fences around this. That's between you and God. If you believe Christ, you partake of this table. It's for believers. Here's something else I think will be a real blessing to you. It was to me. The Lord's table is for believers, isn't it? Bless our hearts. You don't have to be a perfect believer to eat this table. You don't have to have perfect, unwavering faith to eat this table. You don't have to look and say, oh, there's sin in my life, so I can't eat this table. If that was the case, we'd never eat it. There's always sin in our life. You don't have to be perfect. The Lord served this first Lord's table to 11 believers. There was one reprobate, there was 11 believers. That very night, one of them is going to deny he even knows the man. And the other 10 are going to run away from him and forsake him. And he served them the table anyway. It was weak faith, wasn't it? 
but the master himself served them the table. And you know why? You know why they were still worthy to eat this table? Because their sin is forgiven by the sacrifice he's getting ready to offer that's pictured by this table. Hmm. So when we take this bread and this wine, we're not saying, I've got perfect faith. We're confessing, I'm just like those 11. <laughs> I'm just exactly like them. I don't know about you, but boy, I sure identify with old Peter. I, mean, I don't know about how much I identify with John. He seems like a pretty good fellow to me, but I identify with Peter, don't you? I'm taking this table and I'm just like those 11. I don't have perfect faith. There's plenty of sin in my life. What faith I have is not strong. It's unwavering. But I do trust Christ. I mean, Lord could ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? And the other ten were looking at that and so I'm not so sure if he does or not. <laughs> Peter could say, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. People might watch me and say, I don't know, that doesn't look like a lot of faith to me. But I can eat this table and say, Lord, you know all things. You know I trust you. You know the only hope I have is your son. I don't even want to talk about my faith because it's not worth mentioning. But my sin and my weakness is forgiven by what this table represents. The sacrifice of Christ. And he is worth talking about, isn't he? He's worth remembering. He is worth celebrating. And that's what we do when we take this table. All right, Wayne, if you would, you men distribute the bread.
The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Eric, would you give thanks for the bread? Our God, Father, The apostle continues, he says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Why would you give thanks for the blood? Great God. Thank you. 
It says here, after they uh, observed the first Lord's table, they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So Isaac, let's do that. We won't go to the Mount of Olives, but we'll sing a hymn and go out, okay?